Today we are wrapping up our Easter sermon series that we are calling Life with God for Life of the World. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at various rhythms that define what it means to follow Jesus. And today, the rhythm that we're looking at is the rhythm of generosity. And we're looking specifically at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to you each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. The Global Rich List is a website that calculates your place amid the world's wealth. You go online, you enter your location, like where you live, and uh, an annual income. Uh, so if you make $33,000, then it actually calculates that you make $16 per hour. And meanwhile, this is in, compared to the fact that the average worker in Indonesia makes $0.39 cents per hour. The average worker in Ghana makes eight cents per hour. In other words, like as you look at the data that this website gives you, you find out that you live, if you are, if you live in America, that you live in the most privileged country in the history of the world. In fact, you'll find out that you are privileged yourself. Yet it does not always feel that way. Money is tight. We feel the pressures of our finances. We plan for the future so that we can buy a better home to send our kids to a better school district. Uh, We plan for the future so we can actually send our our kids to college. We plan for the future so that we would retire, not be a burden. And yet emergencies happen. And this is life. And money is a big part of it. Our privilege is a big part of it. And God has a lot to say about our money and our wealth and how we are actually meant to steward our privilege. And one of the reasons we don't always feel, or one of the reasons why we're not really aware of our privilege is because of the selfishness of our own hearts. We don't feel our privilege because our hearts are stingy. We want to keep our money and our wealth for ourselves so that our lives can be better. And that's actually not the picture of the church before us in, in, in Acts. The, this church that we are read about, this church uses their privilege, stewarding their possessions and their property for the common good, for the sake of others. And the point that I want us to think about this today, and the, the idea of the sermon is this, that you show the kingdom of God by your generosity to one another. You show the kingdom of God by your generosity to one another. And how I want us to think about this is by looking, is that, well, I have three points to help us to navigate this text before us. Is that in our text, we see something new. 
we see something beautiful and then uh, we see something new we see something different and then we see something beautiful so let's start with something new and um, earlier um, Emily uh, read uh, our first scripture lesson from Acts 2 uh, verses 1 through 18 where we see the Holy Spirit come upon the church and so our, our text is, is situated within this context but what we see but there's something new going on here and our lives are stories we're shaped by stories and then we structure our lives around the story of the school year or hallmark holidays and as a church we seek to dwell in god's story which is why we actually uh celebrate the church calendar the church calendar begins with advent where there's four weeks leading up to christmas and advent is about anticipation and longing and waiting for jesus's arrival and then you move into christmas and then then epiphany then lent and then good friday and easter and pentecost and today is pentecost and Pentecost is vitally important to the life of the church, but you would not necessarily know it. If you grew up in the church, or you consider yourself to be a religious person, when was the last time you celebrated Pentecost? Now, some Christians seek to celebrate Pentecost by recreating this amazing and special day, but that would be the same thing as recreating Christmas when Jesus was born. And this text uh, before us in, in Acts 2 is in Acts 4. This text is not about our own personal experience of the Holy Spirit. Instead, it is about what the Holy Spirit is doing in a community. It is about what the Holy Spirit is doing in a group of people. And what we see in Acts 2 is that the Holy Spirit is bringing to people together of diverse and ethnically diverse backgrounds and making them into a new family. And truly, the most God-honoring thing that we can do to celebrate this day of Pentecost is truly to give ourselves to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And like, and we see this in Acts two, where when the Holy Spirit comes upon um, the apostles and empowered them to proclaim the gospel, but the way they did it was incredibly unique, as they they began to speak in different languages. And Jerusalem that day was filled with faithful Jews from all over the known world, coming from Rome and Iran to Turkey to Egypt and Israel as well. And the, and these individuals, this audience, were, were surprised to hear their the gospel in their own language. And there is truly something beautiful going on here because in the New Testament, God judged the sinfulness of man by confusing our ability to communicate to one another. And now the Holy Spirit comes to restore and renew our ability to have life with one another. And and this is key, like, and it begins with the gospel that we see this in in that the Egyptians and the, and the Turks and the Romans and everyone there, it's, it's very clearly communicated that if for, for the curse of sin to be undone, the only way, the only hope, the only way of salvation is through, through Jesus Christ. And this is true for all our miscommunication and our difficulties to communicate and to love one another. This is true for our own war of words. That the only way for us to actually find healing and rescue is through Jesus Christ. But let me continue to put our text within in the context of the biblical story. And Jesus, because what's going on here, the new thing that's going on here is the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, uh, throughout his ministry, he talked about the Holy Spirit. And in fact, he talked about the Holy Spirit on um, the, the night 
that he was betrayed. The night before he died, he shared one last meal with his disciples, and he's washing his, their feet. He's instituting the Lord's Supper. But he also goes on to speak about the Holy Spirit. He promised his disciples that when he would go, he would send a helper to his disciples. And this helper would live within the hearts of his followers so that they would not be orphans. The Spirit would remind uh, his followers of of his teachings. The Spirit would give peace. The Spirit would convict sin and actually help Jesus' disciples to become the people whom God created them to be. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And, the, and Jesus sends his helper to, the, yes, the uh, apostles, but we see the Holy Spirit promise to every believer as well. And and Jesus is now on his throne and his Holy Spirit. And even though Jesus is on his throne, the mission that the Holy Spirit has is the same mission that Jesus had, which is to uh, rescue and to make all things new. And Pentecost is specifically about the powerful presence of God with his people. And it's about the implementation of Jesus' rescue mission in our everyday lives. It's the Holy Spirit who changes things, who transforms our heart, who makes us new people. And so when the Holy Spirit came, we see something new happen. We see him making a new family. And he takes very different people and makes them into a new family. It's, in fact, as one author put it, it's through the Holy Spirit that we enter into the love of God as his dear children. And as we see the Holy Spirit coming, like that's what's new here. That's something new here. The defining characteristic of the family, of the new family that he is creating, is generosity. And that's different. That is what is different about this. And we see this generosity on a remarkable display in verse 33, um, in verse 32, where that, in fact, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And perhaps as you're you're reading these verses, uh, you wonder if this is actually socialism. Socialism is the economic theory that all the goods are owned by the community, as opposed to uh, where individuals own goods or families owning property. And what the author of this book is doing for us is that he is simply describing the life rhythms of the early church. And this text, let's like, make no apology for it. This text is meant to challenge the ways that we treat our money. It's meant to challenge our, 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 our views of our wealth. But I want to point out what comes after this passage. Um, getting into chapter 5, looking uh, ahead of us, and then looking at verse 4, Peter uh, says uh, to, to two individuals who are truly pretending and posing um, and just to be upstanding people, uh, upstanding like Barnabas, and Peter says this, while the property remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So Peter's point is that like, hey, that's your property. That's not the church's property. That's not the community's property. That is your, that's yours. The answer is no. The church does not own the property of all its members. That's very clear here. But what we do see is that as the Spirit comes and, and works in people's lives as a community, we find that 
that community becomes generous. The followers of Jesus are generous. The followers of Jesus cannot be stingy. We cannot hoard our wealth. And we need to be generous of ourselves and of our time and our possessions and our money. And because that is generosity is the defining trait of the Holy Spirit's work in our, our communal lives. But how, like, what does this generosity look like? Well, first we need to remind ourselves of a very simple yet profound truth. And it's this. Everything we have is from God. Think about how things were in the beginning. God created all things and declared it good. He made humanity and told us to fill the earth and subdue it. God created the world, yet he entrusted it to humanity to rule in his stead. But all the while, he tells us what to do and how to do it. Our dominion is meant to honor God. In other words, we are stewards of this earth. Everything we have is actually God's, and we are entrusted with his care. And what I'm talking about is stewardship. Well, here, And here's a biblical example. When God gave, gave Israel a home and a place to live, he told them to love one another, to welcome the stranger, to ensure justice and plead the widow's cause. And if you owned a farm, God even told uh, his people, he told the farmers how to care for the immigrant and poor uh, around them. And we see this displayed in the book of Ruth. God gave Israel a home, home and said, use this land to care for those around you. And he does the same thing with everything that we have. Everything we have is meant to be used to help those around us. And let me put it before you slightly differently with a more personal illustration. And like parents, suppose you give your children some money to go to the movie, to go see Infinity Wars, or perhaps next week go see Solo. But you not only give them money to pay for their ticket, you give them money so that they could buy snacks and share with their friends. Like, one, you would be like the, the, the coolest parents in the, in the world right then and there. But the opportunity to go to a movie is a good gift. You're paying for their ticket and you're trying, you're actually, you want them to have a good time and they, you want them to share that experience with their friends. But suppose you learn that you're, you're a kid went to, instead of going to the movie, they went across the street to uh, a different restaurant and just bought the food for themselves. Or suppose that your child went to the movie uh, and paid for a ticket and, and got snacks but did not share with others. Like, frankly, that's not what you gave him the money for. And, and this is a little analogy uh, of, of our life uh, with God, of, of how God has given us possessions. Everything we have is actually entrusted to us by God so that we can love and help others well. So we honor God when we use our time and our possessions and our money and our home in order to help others. And what I'm describing for you is generous stewardship. It's new in the fact that it's being done by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He's taking our stingy hearts and making us generous, taking our hoarding mentality and changing us. But it's also something different. It's unseen within the world. It's, in fact... And, and but when we see it, when we when the church lives this out, it's something beautiful. And I love what the church does in this text. Christians took portions of their property and sold it, presumably to their extended physical family. But and then they took the money and that they made and gave it as a gift to the church in order to care for the followers of Jesus. They want to care for their new spiritual family. 
And these ancient Christians uh, lived in a very different world than we did. And they, in fact, could wonder where their meal uh, tomorrow would come from. And I suspect that none of us really wonder uh, where our uh, food is coming from tomorrow or if if we're going to be able to eat uh, food tomorrow in the first place. But the truth is 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, uh, paying off debt, and and 50% of that number are, is unable to save more than $100 a month. So while our needs may be different from these ancient Christians, our needs are real and felt and urgent. We, it is true for us where we wonder, hey, if we're going to be able to pay our bills in three months, if not this week. And, and a few years ago, at one of my old churches, I, I I was in the midst of having lunch with someone in my church, and I got a phone call from a fellow uh, parishioner. And well, this this man and his family were out of town at a wedding, and uh, he came home and he discovered that his car was towed, and so he called me to give him a ride so that uh, I could help him pick it up from the uh, police impound. So I drove over. I picked him up and, and took him to the impound. And the, the, but because he was out of town for the weekend, uh, the car was there for a few days. And so the, the uh, it had a pretty significant bill of a, of a couple hundred dollars. And to top it off, uh, the registration expired. Uh, so that it was going, instead of my friend driving it back to his house, uh, it was going to be towed back. And that was going to be another. And so, like, my friend froze when he saw the, the bill. It was going to be close to $500. But the simple uh, reality is that he would not be able to work to use the... He would not be able to work without this car. And so, being a pastor in that moment, there were a lot of thoughts that were running through my mind. But I knew, I knew something about my church. I knew that my church loved this man, and I also knew that, and loved this man's family, and I also knew that my church had a mercy fund. And so, as I told my friend not to worry, I pulled out a credit card to tell him that his church loves him and has his back, and we want him to know that, and that no matter what, he would have his car home uh, today. And I, and I saw my friend, he was looking down away from me, embarrassed and ashamed, but as I said these things, he looked at me looked up at me and saw, and I, and I saw the thankfulness in his eyes. I saw that he knew he was loved. I saw that he knew he was cared for. I saw that he was, he was like rejoicing because he was going to be able to go to work because of his church family, that he was going to be able to provide for his family because his church was generous towards him. It was beautiful. And one way that we, as as a church, one way that Ironworks Church lives in line of this text is that we have a mercy fund. That we de- designate 3% of everything you give to mercy. So if the occasion arises when, when or if you need help paying a gas bill, we can be there for you. Or that if you need help paying for medication, we can be there for you. Or if you need a place to stay for a few nights, then we are actually able to love you and care for you and that you can actually know that because you feel loved. 
Now, I suspect that right now I could easily be, be misunderstood. I'm not saying whatsoever that Christians or the church are the heroes, are heroes in these moments. The truth is God is the hero. The only way this radical, generous stewardship is, is possible is by the Holy Spirit living and working within our hearts. Like, friends, if we're honest with ourselves, we are stingy. But the only way for that stinginess to be completely undone is by the, is by, is when we receive the grace of God. And we see this clearly in our text. In verse 33, that and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The only way that we can actually uh, live generously is when great grace is upon us, is when we are living our lives, when we are living our lives informed and shaped by what Jesus has done for us, because Jesus actually was gave the ultimate act of generosity. He died upon the cross for us. He gave his own life for us, something that we needed to do. But Jesus did that so that we would actually have life with God. And it's because Jesus did that did that for you, for us. We, we are the community in whom the Spirit lives and dwells in. And it's beautiful. That's the church. And when the Spirit lives within us and shapes our life together, then our lives are going to be a picture of God's rule and His reign over this world. You'll be able to see what life is like with God by how we live our lives together. In fact, like I just want, let me put it this way. When we walk in step with the Spirit, then our lives show what the kingdom of God is like. When we walk in step with the Spirit, we show off the world that we all want, and we show that it is in fact possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 